I'm Richard Lannan, rides with Canon, and this is the Glazing Insider Industry Podcast. Welcome to the podcast dedicated to the people of the glazing industry. In this episode, I talk with Stuart Tucker, who is the co-owner of Cedar Designs and Cedar Views. In this conversation, Stuart talks us through how he started with a building company and ended up in the fenestration world. So, without further ado, let's get started. Stuart, you are the co-owner of Cedar Views and Cedar Designs, but how did you get there? How did you get into the fenestration world? So my journey started um, in my early 20s where I actually ended up in retail. Worked for many different retail companies over 20 plus years. Worked my way through, no formal qualifications. Worked my way through from the shop floor to store manager um, and then progressed in different companies through store manager. But always had a burning desire that I could do more. Long story short, I was quite upset looking at the turnover and seeing how many millions of pounds I was making for other people, to be honest. Um, Mm -hmm. And then made the the jump around my 30th birthday to go it alone. Didn't really have a plan. Didn't really have any money behind me. Just thought that if I didn't go self-employed and try something, I'd regret it for the rest of my life. So I did that in my early 30s, went into business with my, my best friend, my current best friend, um, opened up a, a clothing company where we bought secondhand clothes and we sold them across Europe and Asia. We sold it by the kilo. That was a fun experience, but that taught me a lot about going it alone. It was very tough. That business didn't work out for whatever reason, but um, it taught me a lot. And it, the main thing it taught me is... It's quite tough to mix business with friendships and family. I think that's probably the biggest lesson I learned from that. Thereafter, I was um, still trying to find out what I could do. I could put my energy in because I knew I had this this passion of growing businesses. And um, in my retail career, I was always used as a fixer to go to struggling businesses and to turn them around and basically do the hard job to give it to somebody else so that I could be put somewhere else to do the hard job and give it to somebody else so um after doing that after floating around for some time i met my business partner wayne wayne bond and um we were both going through a bit of a tough time in our personal lives so we kind of bonded through that he is a builder carpenter by trade always worked for himself and he's very good at what he does very passionate very um knowledgeable and um a great guy so I kept badgering him, essentially, saying we could do something together. And he kept following me off because um, obviously I was just a guy that was helping him doing a bit of decorating and things like this. So I don't think he quite believed me. But then one day he, um, I think he sought some advice from a friend of mine. And um, they told him that he'd be nuts not to go into business with me. So we took the plunge. Wayne had a little bit of money, not much. We had a, a van each and a laptop each, and we decided to give it a go. Um, at that point, we opened up Cedar Designs, which is a building company. We've been on a big journey with, with the evolution of Cedar Designs from our first first um, project, which was a, a £10,000 garage conversion, which seems like a lifetime away now. So then we formulated Cedar Designs, 
cedar designs um, using Wayne's background in building and mine in business. I felt that we were a great complement to one another. Wayne had the skill set that I didn't have and I had the skill set that he didn't have. So actually it's it a marriage made in heaven. I remember back we were quoting for a project in, in Basingstoke for a woman called Jo. Lovely lady, lovely family. And um, we were quoting against other other builders, obviously. And she gave Wayne the call to say that we won the job. From memory, it was a £70,000 extension. And um, Wayne was in the van. The excitement came out of him because he knew from that point on, that was it. There was no stopping us. So uh, that was our first one. I can't even count how many projects we've done since then. That was 2015 we started that. So at the time, me and Wayne, both of our partners were pregnant. So (laughs) so it was a time to start a business. Um, My son was born a couple of months later. So was Wayne's. So um, very intertwined. Through then working in Cedar Designs, um, we got asked numerous times about, can you do my windows? I've been quoted X amount from a big company and it seems ridiculous and can you do it? And I always looked at the quotes and laughed and said, yeah, I can do it, no problem. So we went on a journey, did a few bifolds, a few windows, did them all under building control as part of projects um, and thought, you know what, we, we could do this, it's no problem. So we decided to open up Cedar Views windows. Once we started learning about windows and fenestration and all the different products, we quickly realised there was a lot we didn't know about windows. So we went on a big journey, a big learning journey, find out what were the best products in the market, find out what were the worst ones, what the differences were, what we wanted to sell. Because we built a brand in Cedar Designs that we were a high-end building company and what we didn't want to do is fall into the trap of having cheap and cheerful windows in our our windows company. So we've always been on a journey to find the best products and put them in front of our clients because ultimately you don't want to pay for something twice in your life if you don't have to. Exactly. So yeah, we were looking for high-end products to complement our building company and our clientele. We worked from a little office out in um, North Camp, Farnborough, Hampshire, um, and we quickly realised that we needed to showcase products. Yeah. Otherwise, we were a man in a van flogging windows down the pub, and that's how it felt to us. So um, I had my stepson, Max, at the time working with us, and he was the driving force into getting us our first showroom, which was in Knapp Hill High Street in Surrey. We got there, quirky little place. It was nice, and we were there only until 18 months ago, actually. Um, And within that, we went through a few products, a few brands, a few different companies, until we found our current suppliers and um, products that we now sell. At that time, also, Max is quite a tenacious character. He, He... he knew what we were trying to achieve in the building and he wanted to try and find the products in the Windows company to mimic what we were doing. And he came across um, Spitfire Doors, actually. With Max pushing us, we went and we met David, the chairman, and his son, Heffin, up in um, Grand Designs in Birmingham. Did a, had an introduction met a colleague, Paul, Paul Weston at the time, a lovely man, um, and got to know them and quickly realised that we were we got on. And I think that matters a lot in business. You yeah, have to definitely you have to get on with the people you work with. And I think people people buy from people and that 
is what I've seen in all the relationships we have throughout the building industry and the windows industry that um, if I can't get on with the person at the other end of the phone, I'll typically go somewhere else. So yeah, but we got on with Spitfire. Um, they convinced us to buy some doors off them, much as a salesman as David is. <laughs> and um, yeah, we had some in our show and we started doing quite well. Then lockdown hit with us um, as with everybody and coming out of lockdown, people in the windows and doors industry and building industry will know that, it went crazy. Everything, everyone wanted to buy things. Everyone wanted it now. And it was quite difficult to keep up supply and demand. However, the Spitfire doors did particularly well for us. Um, and that's probably down to our branding, our positioning and, and where we are in the country. We're fortunate enough that we're in quite an affluent area. So um, following that, we spoke with David and Heffin and um, we decided that we could do more with the Spitfire brand and with the clientele that we're bringing in through our building company. And we decided to open a nice big showroom in Fair Oaks Airport in Chobham, um, which is, I think it's a thousand square foot. It's um, It highly pushes the Spitfire brand as well as other um, high-end brands such as Cortizo Sliding Doors, Residence, um, other aluminium systems, our UK and, and so on and so forth. So um, we've been in Fair Oaks now for be a year next month, actually. And um, going from strength to strength every everywhere we look. So good times. Well, that's quite a journey. And I have seen that showroom and it is very nice. So a few questions. What was the the retail that you were in? What What kind of retail was it? What products were you selling? It's mainly food retail. So I started off working um, for Welcome Break at Fleet Services. Right. I started off there. Went travelling for a year when I was younger, got that out of my system, went around the world and then came back from Thailand and just got a job working there because it was easy. And then quickly progressed through from working on the shop floor to supervisor to assistant manager. And then they asked me to retrain and open up a new KFC. So I became manager of KFC and did a new store opening with them and worked there for a long time and I enjoyed it. Um, And then I just found my natural time to move on. You know, I've always been three, four years and then I'll get itchy feet and move on. Um, So then went from there, went to a company called SSP, a select service partner. They were at the time part of the Compass Group, which is the largest food retailer in the world. Worked with them working on the railway stations. So I used to manage Basingstoke Railway Station and the retail outlets in there. They had um, two outlets in there at the time. Um, So I managed them and that's all of your pumpkin and lemon trees. So your your cafe, cafe Rattaza and your your newspapers and cigarettes and sweets and magazines and everything. So did all of that. Then... um, I moved up to the Woking station where they had three outlets, managed that for some time. And there I worked with, in, in both places, in Select Service Partner and in Welcome Break, I worked with two very good managers that taught me a lot. One in Welcome Break, and his name was Calvin. He was very good, very insightful, taught me loads. I still remember his lessons today. And then in Select Service Partner, I worked with a gentleman called Andrew and... He taught me even more than Calvin did. So I really appreciate those two people in my life because they had a massive influence on what, I, what I've become. So 
Um, then from there, this is where I started getting my itchy feet and started thinking I'd, I'm destined for more. I want to do more. Went off and worked for Sports Direct. Right. Um, worked for them for some time. Opened a new store in Farnborough. Did that for a while. It's a good company. Wasn't really for me. So that's all I'll say. Then I worked with Audi, um, the supermarket. Worked with them. Right. German company. They've evolved loads since I've worked there. They've become more... Um, Is that all because of you? Probably. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Probably. Well, my my moaning. <laughs> That's what it is. No, they were very, very, shall I say, um, stuck in their ways of what worked in their country when I joined the company. And now I go in there and do my shopping because I trust the brand. I think everything they sell is, you know, really, really good. I tried most of it when I worked there. And now they're, they're trying to obviously compete with the British supermarkets. I think they're trying to become a easier to shop in shall we say it's, it's working so very good and my final sort of stop before i moved into um self-employment was working for bp bp and mns right so i worked there for some time and as soon as i took that job i knew it wasn't for me straight away and yeah i've never i've always gone from job to job knowing having an interview and doing it the right way and never leaving myself short with BP, I just walked out. I'd had enough for various reasons and um, made the decision. It's now or never. So if I if I if I fail, then I can go back in and get a job in retail management somewhere or do something. So I always had that back up because of my experience. But I was more interested in succeeding. So um, hence my journey that I went on to uh, to self employment. So if you hadn't started at BP, is there? a chance that you'd still be in retail 100 percent. and i think it's funny how your your life pans out and the different choices you make and i can see key decisions i've made throughout my career which led me to different places which has ultimately ended up me being where i am today and being in the position to say enough is enough i'm i've got the guts to move on and been in the position to meet my my business partner. Um, and yeah, I quite clearly know the moments in my life where those decisions were made. Um, sliding door moments, I think. Yeah, yeah. And then, so with the clothes business, that's an interesting one for me as well, because it's sort of like cash for clothes, hmm. that kind of thing. Cash for clothes. Buy it for I'm interested. 50p a kilo, sell it for a pound 10. <laughs> it's really buy it. You know, and it's the same, you know, any business, buy it for a pound, sell it for two, you'll make money. And there was a time when we were doing it and we were probably at the peak of that business, um, the peak of its powers. And yeah, it, it was good and it paid a living, but it was never, it never paid what I was working as a retail manager, that's for sure. And I, looking back, I don't think it ever would have, unless you were in the distribution to sort of countries around Eastern Europe and Asia, where all the clothes got shipped to. So, yeah, it was uh, it was fun. It was different. It, it let me it let me relax after being in, you know, full-time employment for a little while. Let, let me yeah. let my hair down a little bit and, and find my way, I suppose, um, in terms of who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. And then ultimately left you open for the next opportunity that was... Absolutely, and... and what it did, it taught me a lot of lessons about 
having to to drive yourself to to get somewhere certainly being self-employed any person who runs their own business will will know that you are the driving force without you there's there's nothing you know and um the more and more people you take on the more more responsibility you have to ensure that your people your team that they're looked after they get paid when they should do they have families they have people that rely on them so ultimately it's a hell of a responsibility you have so um it was good that i did the cash for clothes because it, it taught me a lot and it gave me the foundations because i obviously knew how to run a business um for somebody else but then running it for yourself is very different it's a very different set of skills you have to learn so um you're worried about the cash flow and and you know it absolutely with it the sleepless nights that it's the stress that people don't see is the stress that people don't see and you know when i was back there at that point in my life there were there were decisions where you know it was me and my I had a dog at the time called oscar and he's come to work with me he's with me all the time and um there were days where i had to decide who was going to eat whether it was me or the dog and oscar if you met him you'd always feed the dog <laughs> so <laughs> it was one of them but those those days genuinely happened and that that makes you appreciate where you've been and where you're going makes you appreciate the people around you as well that do yeah. that do make the effort for you and, and do go above and beyond so you're only as good as your team at the end of the day so it was an important step really that that business without if you'd gone straight from bp to you know cedar uh, designs it would have been a completely different story maybe it wouldn't have worked it, it wouldn't have worked i don't I think I needed to have the lows, like the the real lows of, like I say, choosing um, what to eat, wondering if you're going to make your mortgage at the end of the month, and and um, yeah, really, really struggling. But then living by your decision at the same time of you know there, there were yeah. dark days, thinking, did I make the right choice? Is this can I do this? You know, and questioning yourself, and but then that drives you, that drives you on that. that now that that is my driving force and the one thing that me and Wayne do have in common is we are both very driven people he had quite a similar story in other ways he he's been positions where he's had to make similar choices and and he doesn't want to go back there and nor do I so that drives us and and the good thing about having a business partner with the same um focus is you is you can rely on one another i don't have to question what he's doing i don't have to question where he is his his um his drive his focus and he doesn't have to question mine we both know that we've got that trust uh, that we're doing yeah. the right thing we, we're going in the right direction and the same direction so it's massively important yeah, I'm seeing that the, the more people I talk to, those kind of partnerships, it's the trust that's the most important thing. It doesn't matter what happens, you trust one another. And like you say, you said earlier, it's like a marriage. It is a marriage. It's like a work marriage. It's massively a work marriage. You know, you have to you have to be the shoulder to cry and you have to pick your, your, your people up. You have to, you know, there, there's been days where, you know, there's been dark days running our business. You know, don't, it hasn't all been smooth sailing. And it's, it's nice because I've, whenever I've been low... Wayne's been there to pick me up, and whenever he's been low, I've been there to pick him up. Unfortunately, we've never both been low at the same time. So, yeah, good. so far it works. <laughs> it works really well. But, so, if you were the sole owner, do you think it would be the same? As well, I say, easy is not the right word, is it? But would you? 
do you think you could have got to where you are if you were if you owned Cedar Designs all on your own? No, I don't. Um, taking skills aside and things like that. Well, more the business. Okay, uh, yeah. Taking skills aside, we're very different. Wayne is a builder. That's what he does. I'm not. That's not my background. I can do what Wayne does. No way. Um, I've learned a lot about it, and I know a hell of a lot about it now. You know, my learning curve in the last seven years is massive. There's so much that I've learned. But I couldn't have done it with Wayne purely because we both drive each other. And I think mm. that's the main thing. Um, and it's nice to ha- – I, I wouldn't want to do a business alone because it, there's the, there's dark days in there and there's you, the self-motivation you need. You know, 99% of the time it's easy. You know, it's always there. But it's that 1% of the time where – you really need someone to to have your back, and and that's what a good business partner, a good management team, or life partner, whatever it may be, that's that's what you need if if you are a business owner. Um, you need you need those people that are going to rely on you. You can rely on at the end of the day. Yeah, no, it makes so, sense. So no, I couldn't have done it without Wayne. Um, I couldn't do it without Wayne. Now you know it's we both have our roles, we both have our places, and. And we both want the same things, you know, we want, we both want the same things. And what we want is we want our, our children to have the best start in life. You know, we're a very family run company. All of our people have children, you know, we're very much of, of the um, persuasion that they should, our, our team should go and go to the, the sports days and they should go to oh, the brilliant. parents evenings and they're important. They're the most important things, you know, yeah. um, and if you miss those things, you'll live in regret. So we very much encourage it from all of our team. It's, it's nothing that can't wait till tomorrow, you know. But going to a sports day, that can't wait till tomorrow. Or, no. or being there for first day at school, whatever it may be. And I think that's massively important. And that's that's the sort of ethic that we try and have with all of our team. So That's really good. I, I haven't heard that that very much, to be honest. And I think since lockdown, people are seeing it more important because they being at home, you see how much you miss yeah. being out. And uh, like you say, there's nothing more important than kids. And there's loads of people that I know probably listen to this podcast that spent their lives working hard and they did miss those early years. Mm. And, you know, sacrifices has to be made, have to be made. And I, I suppose looking at it from having your own business, you are in the position where you can move things around. You can go and, you know, to the sports days or the parents evening. That, that's the sort of, a luxury in a way of having your own business, but there's a lot to go with it. You know, there's... absolutely. And it's, it's, it's really hard to try and find a, a life work balance. Yeah. And I watch, I watch dragon's den and I watch all these things about, you know, business gurus and talk about the sacrifice and, and all of these things. But we're trying to build a company where I'm not sacrificing my family. I don't yeah. want to sacrifice my time with my family and my children. I, I do this for my family and my children and I've got a four-year-old, a six-year-old, a 19-year-old, a 24-year-old and a 26-year-old and I need to be there for these people. And if I couldn't, then I'd have to really consider what I'm doing because they are the most important thing. That's very inspirational. Oh, I'm glad you said that. It's It needs to be said, really. I think more people need to. And it's something that I know we struggle with as a family, you know, trying to trying to work and, and balance the kids and, and make sure that they're, there's someone with them, you know, a parent. And, yeah, it's hard. Absolutely. And I think, like you, you touched on, I think 
COVID and this whole experience, which, you know, um, if you can take any good out of it, which is quite difficult, but I think the fact that people have connected with their families again and they're starting to realise what's important, you know, with my role selling um, building work and selling dreams to people of how they can live their life and how what's going to make their their building work for them so they can have a much more um, happy family and cohesiveness. More and more people are being at home and, and they do want to have the family life. Um, and and that's what's come out of COVID from what I see. More and more people, you know, they it's easier for me now to get a meeting during the day than it, <laughs> yes. you know, yeah. than, than, I noticed that, than yeah. pre-COVID. It was always six o'clock, I'll be home, kids back, dinner, da, da, da. And now people are a lot more flexible and I go in and there's drawings up the walls and this and kids running around. I think it's how it should be. I don't think that that we should be here to work. I think we should be here to live and enjoy and and work should be part of that, but it shouldn't be the overriding factor. So if we can, and that's and that's the ethic we try and have in our company. So, you know, I'd, I'd rather Dave or Jim or Steve or someone come in and tell me about, you know, the, the sports day and what their, their kids have been doing and, and, and these sorts of things, because that's what makes them happy. And if they're happy at home, they'll be happy at work. It's, it's really easy. And if they've got that, that, that backup that they can go and take that time off or ask for those questions and they're not going to be, well, no, I need you here at five o'clock because you have to do that spreadsheet or whatever it may be. I think that's, you know, that's really important for them for their life. So, Yeah, I think, um, yeah, we'll keep up a good work on that. I think more companies will have to go down that route if they're not already because, uh, like you say, it's it, without getting into mental health and things like that, it's, it's for the kids. Absolutely, and... and I think that comes from sort of my retail background where the demands that were put on you were ridiculous. I can only you know, imagine, you're, yeah. You're a 35-hour contract week, which, you know, stat should be a standard working week, really. But um, then you're doing, I was doing sort of 70, 80, 90, you know, um, hours per week quite regularly because I felt it was my duty and my loyalty to the company and when I look back on it, I think, well, why? <laughs> yeah. Why is that my lord? I, I should have should have been rewarded for that or, you know, don't get me wrong, there's bonuses and things like that. But if you're contracted for 35 hours, that's your contract, you know, trying to squeeze more and squeeze more out of people. Um, I think it's unfair. And, and I know there's still a lot of people out there that are working, trying to put ends, ends meet together and trying to put food on the table they feel under those pressures that probably can't spend the time they want with their family. And you said it, mental health, these things, you know, when you are breadwinners or, you know, you left your partner at home to pick up the pieces while you're grafting, that's that's going to affect you. And it's it's not fair. I think a lot of companies, they need to look at what they're doing. So with companies in mind, uh, you're in the position where you can see it from both sides. So you've got the building side, but you've got the fenestration and, and window side. Mm-hmm. How... I'll pick your brains on this, but how, I know they overlap, but are they, they very different in your eyes or are they sort of merging into one? For me, they merge into one, but they are very different. I, th- I think they both need to be regulated a bit more, to be honest with you. I think there's a hell of a lot of cowboys out there. There's, I, I get asked to pick up the pieces on quite a few projects. Um, I've heard of stories of clients getting burned and stung for a hell of a lot of money. 
and it's quite easy for certainly building well any any company really just to shut up shop change a name start up again tomorrow so from our point of view this is why we've gone we've always had an office we've always had sign written that we've always tried to give the confidence to our our clients so we're not going anywhere you know we're, we're here we're you know everyone makes mistakes we stand by them and and we will fix our mistakes if we have them but ultimately we're we're here as a company and um we're not going anywhere and i think that's one of the reasons we're quite successful in what we do because people buy into that in terms of if they're similar building industry in what we do so we specialize in sort of extensions renovations loft conversions um, basement waterproofing um, ground working you're only as good as your team and the people that run it and it's quite easy to pull the wool over people's eyes if you wanted to as a um, as a company which I see quite shocking work in places and I think that's quite similar in the windows industry as well I could literally just go now and say I can fit a window get a job and pull a window out and fit a window and I don't really need any formal qualifications to do that um, same with building um, yes you can get MVQs and things but my experience of people coming out of college with these they they don't have the experience they can't you know, you can't teach experience. You need to get out there and learn it. Um, I think they both need to be regulated more. I think that certainly with building, because you can really make big mistakes if you do yeah. things badly in building and ruin people's lives because you're talking such large sums of money, typically life savings. There needs to be something in place that builders or building companies have to go through to prove that they have the skill set and knowledge to to do um, what they say they can do. We are part of the Federation of Master Builders and they they check your finances, they check your insurances, they um, they come and do site visits and things. Um, but like anything, people can can forge things and make things up and, you know, get around systems and so there needs to be something else in place. Yeah. I, I believe. Well, as you just said then, I was sort of thinking this isn't, and I had a conversation with customers, this isn't like you're buying something off Amazon and you can just send it back if it doesn't work or you don't like it or you didn't, you know, it wasn't delivered. This is your home. Uh, and, you know, whether you're ripping out windows, your front door or your building, like you say, it's thousands and, and the stress it causes. And, you know, you're putting people in positions where they're paying experts to come in and replace something or build something. And they know they don't have the skills to do it. Otherwise, they probably would do it themselves. Absolutely. And I think it just leaves them vulnerable in a state of, that's where it really stresses them out. And, um, I mean, we always do things properly. And I think the ones that got caught out were the ones that would go by the price or they didn't believe you or they weren't ready to listen and they didn't see the difference. I, th I think this is my biggest bugbear, to be honest. It always comes down to price. And I think you get what you pay for, ultimately. Yeah. Um, I know that in a building hat on, if I know we're not the cheapest, I know we're not the most expensive. We're somewhere in the middle, maybe just above middle. Um, and I quite often get people come back to me and say, well, that's £20,000 cheaper. I say, but there's a reason. There's a reason that it's £20,000 cheaper. Um, and then I see I can drive past buildings where, you know, we haven't won the project and I can see the state of the craftsmanship and I think, well, you get what you pay for at the end of the day. <clears throat> and it's also the same in the windows industry. You know, you, I've, I, we have a showroom, we have staff, we have infrastructure. These things cost money. 
that's why our prices are going to be slightly higher than someone who has a, a van and it does it out of a catalogue. You know, I'm not saying that that person's work isn't isn't great, but there are people out there their work isn't great. Our prices are higher for a reason because we do give a, a degree of security, knowledge, um, perfectionism, and um, and trust. Yeah, which. Yeah, and I think most of the times when I was in that scenario and they would question price, it was usually, I used to say to them, I said, this isn't exactly the same product that you're buying off Amazon. That In that place, I'm with you. You know, we start looking mm. at price, exactly the same product. The only thing that changes is the delivery. You could pay six or seven pounds for delivery or mm. you can get it free and wait a week. You know, what do you want to do there? Whereas I was like, this is your home. It's up to you. And what I, you probably see it as well, is that, it was tended to be the youngsters that maybe didn't have as much money that either trying to do it themselves or they really were pushing the budget and they had to try and make a decision. It was based on price. You know, mm. the amount of conversations people said, I want to go with you, but we can't quite get to that point. Or, and then the ones that you genuinely meant it would actually say, we're going to hold off. We're just going to, maybe we'll just replace this door for now and these windows and we'll come back to you next year and do the rest. And I go, okay, you're genuine. I understand that. And then the ones that said, oh no, we just want to get it done in one. And, and like you, I've drove past, houses that I'd lost and you sort of go well that's that's not what we quoted at all that's Absolutely. not what you wanted we, we went down that route and it's that kind of thing so you're never going to win and like you said it's down to the quality and they end up buying twice and what we used to get as customers is well I used to get is the elderly that may be bitten once uh, and they never ever wanted to go down that route again they go look at the reviews they talk to customers and you know I even used to take them to customers homes and show them installations and honestly the customers just used to talk mm. I didn't have to say anything they go all oh, right they're great they did this they did that and that was like a massive thing for me I mean I, we'd just have to arrange, arrange that that moment of the, the meeting and then the customers just took over they were so proud mm. And when you see that compared to someone saying, why is this £10,000 more? They genuinely think that you're trying to pull the wool over their yeah, eyes. It's exactly the same. And, and that's an extra ten grand in your pocket. It's really not. No. It's really not. To, to run a business costs money. Anyone who runs a business knows that. It's the, and coming back to my first stint at self-employment, it's the cost you don't know. And they're the one. It's, it's the administration. It's the turning the lights on every day. There's a cost to open the doors, you know, and... Depend on the size of your business, depending on the size of the cost. It's really simple. But coming back to what you were saying, I remember I recall a project a couple of years back and um, a builder in the area um, effectively closed down his company um, and effectively stole a lot of money from a lot of people, upwards of a million pounds. And um, he was going round and saying to people, if you give me that up front in cash, I'll knock X amount off your project. Um, and people were falling for it because they just saw the savings and, and they were going for it. And I heard some real horror stories, which disgusted me, to be honest with you. Stories of um, a lady that was eight months pregnant with half her house being propped up with acros and strong boys and, and, and things like that. And no kitchen, just a tea urn. She's about to give birth. Life savings gone, no way to, to finish her project and things like that, just disgusting. And um, we had this client that came through, funny enough, a groundwork of mine that worked for that builder that, that did this thing. And um, the client came to me because he had spent £140,000 
to have two holes dug in his garden. Mm. And needless to say, he wanted to finish to make his area safe. He still wanted to carry on with the build. He was fortunate he had um, other money. But he didn't trust builders. <laughs> he no. didn't trust anybody. And um, rightly so. So the way we structure our things, we, we work in a pay-as-you-go fashion. You know, we, we ask for money, we do a section, and we move on and we do a section. So you can always see what you're getting for your money. With him, I had to win back his trust in, not in us, but in, in yeah. our industry again. So we fronted his his whole job, which is about twenty grand to start off, just to to get him to a safe yeah. level outside in his property to win back the trust. But I made it perfectly clear if we move forward and did any more, it would be under my terms. But I'm happy to do this for you. Subsequently, we did that. He came back six months later. We carried out the build, and mm-hmm. he actually got some windows and doors from from David up in Macclesfield, and. Uh, yeah, it worked out well, but you hear these stories and it's it's just shocking. So the cheapest price isn't always the best one. And yeah. when something looks too good to be true, it usually is. So my advice to people is just be careful out there. There's a lot of unscrupulous people. I know, it's a shame, isn't it? You sort of We see it from a good side. Mm. Uh, and unfortunately, unlike you, I've seen a few things and you think, how did they get away with that? Mm. You know, one, one company was charging... Sixty pounds a year for insurance on a front door, <laughs> and uh, and I asked the lady. I said, "What do you get? Do you get service? Do you, what do you get for that?" And she said, "Nothing. Just if you know it gets broken into or something." I said, that, "That's what your home insurance is for." Yeah, I said, "Just <laughs> cancel that now." And it was it was just shocking the way people try and make money these days, and not genuine money. Mm-hmm. It's just so yeah. I can see why consumers are are worried, but hopefully over time they'll get there but there's some great brands yeah you know, there, there's some great companies out there and looking at the fenestration i've been fortunate enough to um go to the fit show and to go to grand designs um i've been to the the epson race day with a lot of people from the industry and there's some cracking companies out there and there's some really good like-minded business people which genuinely want to to do the best they can so there are some good ones out there, yeah. but they're probably not the cheapest ones. So, you know, it's up to people to make informed choices, you know, and um, and, and just hold back and not always go on price. That's what I would say. Wise words, and I can agree more. Last two questions. So out of the whole journey, I usually ask these two questions. What is the lowest point, which you may have already mentioned, and the highest point of that everything? Quite difficult. It is. Get highs all the time. <laughs> Some people do say that. They they genuinely do say, I'm still living it, it's still going. I'm, you yeah. know, I, I'm, I'm in the moment. I'm, I'm loving what I do. And probably the biggest high is I'm very passionate about what I do. And I've genuinely found the job I've always wanted to do. And I've ended up here in a real roundabout way. But genuinely, I'm really, really happy and excited to get up every day um, and I've had the the days where I just don't want to get out of bed you know in my previous life so to speak and um, it's not like that and I'm, I'm very fortunate to have got myself into a position where um, I love my job I love the people I work with you know I'm going to pick the kids up today at 3.30 I'm fortunate to be in that position but then the sacrifice that comes with that as well you know it's the late nights the early starts and yeah. you know 
that comes with it. That's what the people don't see or other people don't see, should we say. Every business owner knows it. Um, it's the work until two in the morning on a Thursday, every Thursday with my business partner because that's the only time we get to see each other you know, because he's digging holes and cutting wood and I'm doing what I do. So, yeah, so the the highs are just the journey at the moment. The lows, you know, making those choices. Um, probably the biggest low or the biggest struggle when you touch on it is is mental health to be honest and that's a it's a tough thing to deal with and I've battled with it on and off over all my life and when you get low it's really hard to pull yourself out so um I've had some real dark days um at the beginning but um I'm fortunate fortunate enough now that I've got people around me that I can rely on so you know I think when you're a business owner and you manage people and look after teams, there's that pressure and that responsibility on you. And it's sometimes quite overwhelming. And not everyone will understand that, but there's people out there that listen to this that will know exactly what what I'm talking about. And um, yeah, it's just uh, trying to manage that. That's always a battle. Yeah, that's... That doesn't get said enough, to be honest. Mm. I think a lot of people, the last two years, will get exactly what you're talking about. So, uh, yeah, and I, I think the the good thing is I see it so much um, in me. I, I don't really go on social media, but I do. I do follow it sometimes, and you see in the news and media about mental health awareness and things like this. And you know, it's the unsaid thing. And you know, back when I was growing up, it was like, "I'll oh, just sort yourself out. You'll be all right." And but that's not really an answer to be honest, mm-hmm. and and people deal with all sorts of different things for different reasons, and, and there needs to be more of a support network for, for people out there. We've had it, I think it was two years ago, we had um, a gentleman that used to work with us, we used to, we still do, sub out our roof work, and um, all of our subcontractors have worked with us from day dot, you know, they're part of the team, part of the family. Um, we had one guy that worked with us, and... Um, Really nice guy, always had a chat, always had something nice to say, you know, really, really good person, you know, and he ended his life a couple of years back because for whatever reason, never saw it coming. It's just out of nowhere. I know it affected a lot of the people he worked with, a lot of his friends, and I didn't know him really, really well, but I I knew him, and it makes you stop and think that there's so many people out there that deal with these problems that don't talk. Um, yeah and and you need to and it is you know my the industry we're in it's a very male dominated industry um lots of young men lots of pressures on men to be this and be that and do this and do that and we're not very good at talking to people and these things bottle up and and it's a it's a big killer of men so it needs to be talked about more yeah, I, I think it's important. And I think over the next few years, hopefully we'll see some big changes because I think people are starting to realise how important it is. I've, I've said this, uh, any sort of gatherings, I, I've got this prediction that one day, you know, companies will probably have a therapist on staff to some extent or someone that you can go and talk to because if you're having a bad day, yeah, it does affect your work. But at the end of the day, it could affect the rest of your week, your month, your year. Just it carries yeah. on. Yeah, and sometimes you can't shake those things. No. No matter, no matter what you do, you can't. And I have it. My partner, she knows when I've had a good day and a bad day. And she'll know what to say and what not to say, you know. And that, But 
I'm fortunate enough I've got my my partner Jamie that I can talk to you know but there's people out there that can't and what do you do with those thoughts where do they go so, yeah you know it's um I'd like to think that you know your suggestion of a therapist on hand you know, working, well, there's, working for it, companies is yeah. a great thing you know yeah. and, and hopefully that is the future and hopefully big companies will, will you know roll these things out for people even small companies you know it doesn't, yeah. matter, it doesn't matter your size I think we're fortunate enough that we're we are a small company but we're engaged in our people you know and hopefully they can talk to us if they do have problems and they can come to us so might not be able to fix them but we can at least try and give some advice or, yeah. or, or have someone to talk to yeah. and you do get that especially in the smaller companies where you know people will talk to you about their problems and you you're almost that you know you don't even have to advise you're just there to listen to it sometime mm. and uh, it makes all the difference and I, I see you see some of the bigger companies they do get a bit lost and you you've probably been in those in the early retail days where you're almost they may notice you but you're a number um, that's all you are you're just you're you're on the um the pnl statement of yeah. store number one two three and they're not hitting that target or they are hitting that target do i pat them on the back or hit them with a stick it's one of those. yeah whereas yeah. you could walk into you know the showroom and you know who's you know who's who's okay and who's not hmm. just by just by looking at them yeah looking them in the face and and this is a thing with our team Co- you know the last two years have been really difficult for people and um, I could see in my entire team towards the end of last year how broken they were, as in tired, broken, not very, not many holidays. I'm sure the yeah. whole of the country can relate to it that, you know, people just had enough. And they hadn't really had a break. They hadn't really done what they wanted to do. It was just work, home, work, home. Can't even socialise. Can't even have a, the normality that we normally have. So um, we made the decision to close for two weeks um, and just let everyone have a break. Yeah. And I needed it. My business partner needed it. Our whole team needed it. And you know what? It's the best decision we made because coming back at the beginning of the year, we all had a team meeting in the office and I could see the sparkle back in people's eyes and I could see the, the passion. And they're, they're ready to go again. And so it's important. It's important to see these things and, and act when you can. Brilliant. So, yeah. Well, keep up the good work. Stuart, thank you for your time today, and uh, we'll see how things go. But I'm sure you can come back on the podcast at some point when you're on to the next part of this, uh, the uh, the journey. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much for your time. Cheers, Rich. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers. That was a great conversation with Stuart. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you'd like to hear more podcasts like this one, consider subscribing. Otherwise, thank you for listening. Until next time.